run into the ground. We're back this week. <laughs> well, you're gonna laugh already. We got another great <laughs> guest this week. We got um, writer of your new favorite emo book, uh, editor over there at Brooklyn Vegan. We got Andrew Sacker. What's up, other Andrew? Hey, what's up, uh, first Andrew? Uh, <laughs> I love what we're doing here. <laughs> Just already submitting to to Andrew's dominance. Well, I mean, it's your podcast, so I feel like you know you're the first, and I'm sure. the you know no. newcomer. Andrew, the newcomer. So th- no. thanks we, for having yeah, me. <laughs> we we kind of forced uh, Andy and I to go by Andy a couple episodes back. Uh, you know, we have we've never had another Dan on this podcast, so it makes yes, my life had, easy. Well, we've had Daniel, but that doesn't count, right? <laughs> no, we've had a few Dan's on this podcast. Actually. Have we? <laughs> yeah, we had Dan Ozzy, Dan Danger. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just having a have, having a laugh over there. It's a regular regular Dan Fest. What's just up, Andrew? Goofing. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, yeah. Coming those from, from Brooklyn? Yeah, uh, technically Queens. I'm in Ridgewood, Queens. Hell so yeah. it's like, uh, you Queen, know. Queens vegan. The, Doesn't bring, uh, yeah, it's quite yeah, the same. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, where are you guys from? I'm in Jersey City. I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, so at least Jersey City, you probably know. Like, Ridgewood, Queens is like kind of Brooklyn. Yeah, but technically, yeah, yeah. Queens. Kind of. I, li- I lived Andrew, in Bushwick Andrew's before in the, I moved here, so I Andrew's know. in the sixth borough known as Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the seventh yeah. borough. Um, <laughs> what do you live off the M? Uh, t- yeah, the M and the L are both sort of nice. Yeah, yeah let's break down your commute. Yeah, I from home. Okay, yeah. Where, where are the Brooklyn vegan offices at these days? Yeah, they aren't. Um, <laughs> we we all work from home. Oh, uh, yeah. Even before COVID always have. So like when COVID hit and all my friends were like, I don't know how to do this. I was like, I got this. You let me show you the way. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just continue life as normal. Yeah. Uh, I used Uh, to live right right off the central M. I loved it. mm, Oh, yeah. Super close. I'm not off like the Seneca M. Oh, yeah. Did you ever go to the Seneca? Yeah, all the time, actually. I live right there. I love that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. Do they still have like a food program and all that shit? A, a, like a program or i mean just like do they still have oh, good oh food yeah, yeah. they have stuff? like uh they have like really good food actually yeah they yeah. have fucking amazing breakfast tacos i used mm. to i used to be like hey i'm gonna go work from the road today and i would just go and get <laughs> wasted at the down Seneca. the block <laughs> there's also a really great venue over there what is the footlight is that what that place is called yeah that that closed oh what a bummer that like back yeah. room where they had shows was pretty mm. cool we actually have like a lot of venues over here now. Like I've lived here for almost ten years, and when I first moved here, I feel like I was always going to Williamsburg for shows, mm-hmm. and now I feel like I'm always walking like twenty minutes or less to a venue. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, you isn't there? What's the venue. new place out like in the middle of nowhere, Queens? The Knockdown Center is that the Knockdown one that's Center? All the way out there? Yeah, that's right that's over. That's new. like a mile from where I live. Yeah, it's not new, but it's 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 been getting a, a lot of attention it, lately. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a weird like club below it now that's supposed to be like they're trying to be Berghain in in uh in germany where it just like it never closes it goes from like midnight until 6 or 11 a.m or something crazy i was just reading about that in new york magazine <laughs> yeah it's it's called basement i haven't been yeah. yet but i have i have friends who swear by it oh really yeah mm. i don't i don't know if that's for me per se I, i'm not i'm not really much of a raver type uh but a bunch of my friends like you know we're like in our early 30s and it was like half my friends turned 30 and was like you know i think my emo phase is over and i'm gonna go to raves now 
That's a weird transition. Yeah, it's really what a transition. Weird. What is the emo to rave pipeline? How does that I work? Know. I don't. Where's know. Where's the cross? What it all? Okay. It all starts with her space holiday. I was gonna say what, ba- what band? Forward. What band is the crossover there? Uh, let's let's do a little brainstorming fun. I, like I mean, LCD I would, Postal Service probably. Yeah, is Postal like a, Service. You know, Okay. Like, yeah, because that, that um, you can slide into the the dental hole not too mm-hmm. far from there, uh, and then yeah, that headphones record was pretty good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They just, you just really love the Styrofoam remix of "Drugs Are Me" <laughs> by Jimmy <laughs> World, which I do love. There, that song was stuck in my head for six months. I just had Six the weird like beat of that in my head, and I couldn't figure out what the fuck it was from. And I'm like, oh, it was from the random obscure, uh, you know, seven inch <laughs> Jimmy World mm-hmm. record from like mid career. That's great, but yeah, oh, it felt right. so good you when have, I found we out. We have an insane amount of stuff to cover. It's we not really often do. that we have like three people who like speak the same language on the pod. So I'm I'm unbelievably excited. First thing I want to talk about, Andrew, you have a book coming out mm-hmm. that I'm real excited about. Can you tell me a little bit about the book, starting with the title? Sure. So the the main title is just Emo Revival. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the subtitle is going to be um, Community DIY and Rebirth in Post-Hardcore and Emo, in parentheses, 2008-2018. Fuck. Damn. What, hey. um, what, what are the, uh, like, what are the date markers there? Oh yeah, like the the 2008-2018 timeline. So yeah, it's interesting because the book really starts like pretty far before 2008. Because like um, there, I mean, I would say like the sort of that fourth wave of emo that it's primarily about, like honestly, even dates back to the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, uh, But I feel like that era, as far as sort of in the public eye, that's when like the switch happened, right? Like. Um, I feel like by 2008 is when you start seeing like Panic at the Disco makes their weird record and like, uh, you know, like Thursday and Taking Back Sunday are sort of like inching away from the mainstream and Jimmy World is kind of like given their last swing at like a kind of real hit song and Fall Out Boy and My Chem are about to like either change and or break up. And then I feel like at, at that same time, 2008, that's you get like the first Algernon record, the first like the self-titled Tiger Star record, the first La Dispute record. Um, that's the year that like Balance and Composure formed, the year that Title Fight put out the Kingston 7-inch. So there's like a lot of, I think, a uh, sea change happening in that year. So that's sort of like when I put it as, even though the book starts earlier, it's because I, I think like if you were to see it and be like, oh, it starts in 2003, it might get confusing and people would be like, so it's about like Motion City soundtrack, you know? Like, yeah, I'd be no, like, no, yeah. it's not, you know? Like, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's weird too, because I don't, um, I was looking at like dates and what important records came out around what time today. Um, and I was like really struggling to find a bridge between like what was going on, you know, or, like early aughts um, into the emo revival. And it seems like there was a there was a really big pop uptick and then mm-hmm. like something, you know what I mean? Uh, it's sort of hard. Like all these bands found the Lemonheads and they were like, this <laughs> is the shit. Yeah. Um, do you like who do you think is that bridge? Like from like the the popular third wave era into the the revival era um so without giving too many spoilers (laughs) um i think to me like it's a really complicated like question that i think different people would answer differently um 
I'll answer like this. My personal journey is um, I think like an unspoken part of the emo revival is like these fringe bands in the third wave era that were sort of keeping like 90s, like more underground style emo alive in their own way. Like bands like Minus the Bear and Me Without You and the Appleseed cast and Maps and Atlases and Bear vs. Shark and Piebald and like just like these kind of like on the margins of third wave emo bands that were like had either directly come from like the second wave or at least like just were sort of like-minded or were just like weird in their own way you know like i feel like um like a band like my me without you really like they just don't fit in anywhere you know yeah, and so it's like it makes sense that they inspired bands like touche amore and la dispute and pianos become the teeth because like those bands looked to like the weird bands you know yeah um so i feel like part of it is that um but then, like, also, I mean, a lot of the bands that we now look at as these core emo revival bands, like, we're getting their start in that era. Like, Algernon's old band, Halfway to Holland, put their first demo out in 2001. You know, and, like... Uh, When's the last time you listened to Be Frank, I'd Have to Be Foley? It's so, it's so good. It's one of the best songs that... Dan, do you have a way to play that right now? I think I have the Halfway to Holland stuff on my... Uh... I feel like this is going to be a heavy, like, hey, Dan, can you play this for me real quick? <laughs> uh, I think, I just, I think, like, I'm yeah, so glad a- you mentioned Halfway to Holland because I just think that, like, people don't know that yeah. at all. You know, yeah. I was going to make a US funk team reference, but, like, I guess that's not even that crazy right now. <laughs> I do. Do you want me to play it to be yeah, frank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the beginning. Like it's still pop punk, but mm-hmm. like, but like who's got... in this is is like who's in this band that was in Algernon besides? So uh... It's it's Peter, Joe, right. and Colin, and then oh, uh, the drummer is is TJ, who actually passed away not long ago. Um, and he was also in a Life Once Lost and like Lions. Um, so yeah, that was the four piece lineup, I believe. And that like Lions demo was one of the best things I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, it's I, super good. I grew up not too far from there, so like mm-hmm. I would go to the all those shows back in the day. I, I remember when we had Joe on, we we kind of went back down memory lane because there was a there was a show that had a majority of the Algernon lineup all playing at different bands mm-hmm. at the same show, and it was oh, it was like Lions, it was Marigold, it was uh oh my god, what was the oh my it, I can't believe it just flew out of my head. What was the band mm-hmm. uh, with the super poppy? Female lead singer. Rocking Are you thinking of Zoloft, the Rock and Roll Destroyer? Or? Zoloft, yeah, Zoloft. Yeah. And it was just no, like no. everyone of that Damn. era. What? You gotta drop that T. They almost got sued for that T. You gotta drop that T. What T? Zoloft, not oh. Zoloft. Were they? <laughs> yes. Come on, man. I, I thought you were I a true. That. I thought you were a true <laughs> believer. Um. So it's so, okay. So 2008 is the beginning. What's what's the 2018 significance? Yeah, so what did I, Evan do to like destroy the emo revival? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I I I will say that there is there is something that I don't want to say before the book is out. That'll mm-hmm. be in there. But um on a more broad level, um I feel like b- two things. By that point, the story like that I'm trying to tell kind of had been set in stone. Like a lot of bands from this era have kept going and kept making great records. Like the Wonder Years just put out a great record last year. The Menzingers put out a great record this year. Yeah. Citizen put out a great record this year. The list goes on. But I feel like 
you know, when this stuff started, like there was no such thing as an emo revival scene, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it like when Algernon and snowing and then maybe not as much snowing, but when Algernon and street smart started playing, mm-hmm. like they couldn't just like hit up the other local emo revival bands and book an emo revival show, you know, like it wasn't a thing. So like now though, when a band like sweet pill comes out, it's like, Oh, there's like multiple bands you can open for and like labels you can sign to. And like, you know, like there's a world, there's still an ecosystem going like top shelf run for cover. And like count your lucky stars and no sleep are still killing it. Tiny engines is back. You know, like there's like an ecosystem. So I think by 2018, like, the work had been done like on sort of like a meaningful level. Like, I think there's still great records that have come out since then and great tours that have happened. But I think like the story is sort of told by then, but also like there were a lot of key breakups by then, like title fights. Last show was early 2018 modern baseball were gone by the end of 2017 balance. Like composure had broken up around then Um, the hotel year had really kind of gone on pause around then. So I do think it's like, it's a mix of the story had been told. And I do think there is some end of an era feeling. And I guess a third thing is like, you know, I, I guess now people talk about fifth wave emo and I feel like that changing of the guard has happened. And, and I think a lot of the bands that we look at now as like these new b- bands taking the new generation forward, like pool kids or home is where I think like those bands kind of started to find their footing at the end of the 2010s. And then obviously COVID happens and like, that's a huge sort of you know bookend but i think like by 2018 you start to see the sort of quote fourth wave bands either breaking up or just kind of like settling into middle age and then like the fifth wave bands are kind of putting out like their demos or their first record or something and is there anyone from that era that you can point to that's like still currently having a great career or like still making some of their best material i mean i think a lot of a handful are i mean I, I i again i said the wonder years i feel like their newer record is maybe my favorite record by the, them yeah the the hum goes on when the when the eldest daughter came out as that first single like i wept it's such a beautiful <laughs> like they're such an incredible mm-hmm. band uh so good and it's not just because i day drink used to day drink with josh martin daily <laughs> um but that record was such a huge step forward for that band and it was mm-hmm. so exciting for just like you know the i don't know the the greater music um you know sort of populist but um but yeah, yeah. Who, what about yeah from like the actual emo revival world though playing playing the stuff that's more similar to Algernon or snowing from that mm-hmm. original kind of push um or- yeah like as far as like the very specifically like midwest style emo goes maybe the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, a lot of that stuff was like very short lived, you know, or, or like maybe they have like newer bands. Yeah, um, no, I think that's it's kind of dissolved a little bit. And yeah, people like yeah. went into like, like Dogs on Acid or uh, yeah. was it Yankee? Uh, what was the other band like Nate went into? Oh, my God, I forget. It was called Yankee mm. something. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, there's so much of that stuff. But yeah, it, it, that was such a crazy time to think, though, like thinking back on it. Cause I like fully lived it in, in, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from kind of the beginning and seeing just the amount of energy that came out of that scene. Like I still point to snowing's last show as being one of the greatest nights of my life in terms of like concert experiences in the terms of, um, just connecting with music on a way that was so visceral 
in a room full of 400 people who all like felt it even more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was truly like a night of, it was just unreal. And it, it's something that's totally inexplicable. It's something that is like a very, you had to be there kind of moment. And I know they've, they've kind of, they've done a few reunions since. Right. And it just, they were very local. Well, they did Japan, which is very funny. <laughs> Snowing played, I think a local show in Lehigh Valley, uh, that really didn't get too much attention outside of the Lehigh Valley. I don't know too many people who like trekked out there to go see it. Um, and then they played a, like a Japan tour, <laughs> and that was kind of it. And, I mean, wouldn't uh, you want to go to Japan if you could? Oh, you absolutely. I mean? I mean, that's like that's like the bands that are like they only tour Europe because they always draw and they always make a, a lot of money. It's but uh, but then I mean, the best example is is just seeing the return of Algernon and mm-hmm. the amount of enthusiasm and span of audience um you know demographics in terms of age range and things like that which is very much kind of the american football thing of Mm -hmm. they developed this huge they kind of were in and out before it blew up algernon kind of broke up before the the huge boom of everyone who was influenced by them came to power and they just kind of drifted off and then came back to everyone wanting to go see him and then they crushed it like they sounded so good live that i love joe would comment on people's cover videos of like doing guitar covers just uh because he was learning the songs back by them uh but yeah it's 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 cool to see that that wave kind of still pushes through yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating just how history repeats itself. Like, you, yeah, I mean, the Algernon American football comparison, I think, is like spot on. Um, and I think to a lesser extent, like Street Smart Cyclists had that happen, too. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they were like tiny when they broke up and then they did the 2010 reunion, which is funny to think, because even at that point, stuff hadn't blown up yet. Oh, yeah. Um, but then they did like the top shelf discography release in 2014. And mm-hmm. I do feel like they've got this like this sort of lore to them you know the way that a lot of those like Kinsella bands and stuff had um but yeah it's and then also there's been like like everyone everywhere for example like who i think a lot of people really like i mean Lovely. when i interviewed uh matt for the book he swears that like they did not have a following you know he's like he's like we have way more listeners now than we ever did um <laughs> and uh and it's and even Glockamora were kind of like that too like the biggest tour Glockamora did was their farewell tour yeah um oh, yeah. and like they get looked at now as like you know one of the really sort of core bands and of course they were in many ways but like there were a lot of bands that were bigger than them then that are now smaller than them. So I do think this scene for some reason tends to breed people who get bigger when they break up. <laughs> it's funny because um, everyone everywhere is an interesting band to bring up because uh, they're just like they were years too early, mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah. too early. Um, they were the first band that I ever saw besides Radiohead to do like a pay what you want for like a physical copy of something, oh, yeah. which I thought was incredible. Um, I'll never forget seeing them at Fest and uh, they just had a pile of records and like a box with money in it on the merch table, just like <laughs> honor system. That's crazy. So great. Yeah. yeah what, a, I, what a great band. I think I bought both their records on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. Uh system too and yeah they did same with shirts too it was just like (laughs) pay what you want for shirts and they just didn't give a shit it was great and uh but yeah they 
Everyone Ever is one I definitely like, that's a, a band I show people or I put on mixtapes and stuff and it's just because if you, if you they I feel like they don't quite have the following like they did in terms of, I'm sure they do you just said that they have more streams now than they ever did but like they're not a band that necessarily comes up in conversation in the greater picture I mm-hmm. hate to say this out loud but I truly think that they were a band that you had to see live to like really they were get so it. good live too they just um, they crushed it it was perfect. And that, they had that's a really interesting great... to me. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. No, it's interesting to me that you say that because I actually, I, so I like their second record more than the first, but I feel like it's really like, I think it's like a great studio record. And like, I think they had some of the best like songwriting of that era. Cause I think a lot of those yeah. bands were like, let's just like, you know, tap a lot and be loud. And I feel like that second record, they like really wrote songs. Oh yeah. But I love do they, you do you <laughs> remember the vi- the the video uh well the video that came out right before the record was released was where it the they live got stream? in they got into beds yes I was just about to mention we're <laughs> so on the so same page good. I was just about have to you mention seen that, that Andrew I don't think I've seen it no they they so, pre- like it was, what like a, was it like a couple like a, weeks before the record came out it was like a virtual listening party essentially. they did a record they they did a thing on YouTube where like. There was like a clock at the top and the song started. They all got into bed and like looked like they fell asleep for the entire record and then got up, made their beds and walked out. And that yeah. was it was it was essentially funny. they did like a preview style listening party for yeah, the record. Stupid idea. Uh, they were so, so funny. Good. They had such a funny, weird sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, just giving the records away on a sliding scale is, is mm. hilarious. And they, oh, they also had the, the shirt shirt, which was the shirt with just a shirt on it, I think. Was there a big thing? Do you remember the ever? This is my everyone everywhere shirt, and it just had a smaller shirt on the shirt. I don't ever remember seeing merch from them. Oh yeah, they had some merch. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I used to see them a ton in Philly, in like the weirdest places. <laughs> what I think is weird about that era is that there were so many bands that came back to do new material that was so bad. Um. Like the worst casket. The worst casket lottery came record came out around that time. Um, I don't know if you agree. I don't know if you're allowed to agree out loud. Um, <laughs> it's good, um, but it was like you know. I don't. I don't have a strong opinion on the that casket lottery record. I don't remember disliking it. Mm. Um, I guess I don't play it as much as like the classics. So maybe, sure. but like I don't. I don't remember being like turned off. No, but I, it's I do, not. It's not like horrifically bad by any means. It just yeah. wasn't what I wanted, I guess. But I, I really liked the the two American football records, and I really liked the yeah. Braid record that came oh, out. No, oh, no yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I ever really settled into that record. I, I listened to it a few times, and it, it was a good record, but it wasn't, to me, like a Braid record. Like That was already so like burned into my head. Mm-hmm. But I, I love I think- Braid. Braid just isn't a band that I go back to very often. So I guess a uh, hot-ish take. I went to the Framing Campus tour earlier this year, mm-hmm. and as an encore, you know, they played older songs and then some No Coast. And I was like, the No Coast songs at least as good as Framing Campus. Like I was yeah. like, it was kind of the part of the set I enjoyed the most. And I maybe maybe part of that is just like how many times you've seen Braid play the same songs. But mm-hmm. that like t- almost ten years later, those to me seeing it live, I was like, these are holding up. This was like a. It made me like I already like the record, but I feel like, especially after that, I'm like th- I would put this up there with a classic braid. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I didn't get into early braid. I would say like Frankie Welfare 
was not my brain right you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i was really only framing canvas um sure and like the movie musics came out um like please drive faster i think was probably my favorite braid song and i you know go back to it often but um yeah i just didn't really get it. there was that weird uh sunny day real estate split with with circus survive yeah that was weird um, oh yeah yeah quite possibly the that. worst cover art i've ever seen <laughs> for an album um yeah i think i think american football those two records they did on the reunion are incredible examples of like a band coming back and doing it well and doing it right and maybe doing it better i feel mm-hmm. like I've, i mean i've listened to the first lp you know how many times but mm-hmm. i feel like i go back to probably the third one the most in LP3 terms of just my like favorite at songwriting it's, it's so good yeah but, i mean they're, but, they're also just so interesting because like the reality of the fact is that like american football most of their career was between the the years like 2014 and present they mm-hmm. were a band for like a year you yeah. know like yeah so. well so you so are have you lived in how long have you lived in new york i guess uh, coming up on 10 years okay well, so I, I grew up in new york but um out outside of the city okay so i was going to say what was your experience with this era of of emo then that you're covering in the book because i you know i went to a lot of my shows back then i was living in central jersey i know mm-hmm. andrew was living in south jersey but we would both pretty much go to philly for shows for the most part and there was a lot of stuff happening in new jersey at the time as well um so what was your experience of all this happening when it did like how much say, regale me with tales of shea well, stadium no i mean please. i'm just curious <laughs> of of what your show going experience during this time was because i don't know too many of what was happening outside of the bubble i was in at the time which was a bubble that was full of a lot of the stuff that was happening but yeah so what what were you doing around this time yeah i mean i'm thoroughly jealous of anybody who lived in or near philly in those years because i just like wasn't there um but i i went to purchase college um and i was Mm, we talked a lot about purchase on this podcast (laughs) because that was that was another hotbed for yeah a t- I mean, we we've talked about what Regina Spector. We talked about Jeffrey mm-hmm. Lewis uh, on an episode that'll be at, uh, came out. I guess by the time this comes out, a couple weeks ago, and uh, there there is a thing about purchase bands. There yeah, was a whole, for sure. Was Mitski one of those Mits- too? Yeah, Mitski and I were like there around the same time. It was okay. like the, the, the era that I was there was like the era that Mitski level up, sheer mag porches were all like was crying too. Were, I think was crying. Yeah, 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 they were. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah like i so i grew up not far from purchase um and i played in bands and i had a friend who played in bands from a neighboring town and we both were incoming freshmen at the same time so he was like one of the first few people i knew on like day one um so he was like oh come to my dorm like check out this record i got and it was fuck your emotional bullshit um so like literally like my first or second day at purchase was like the first time i heard like an emo revival band wow. um yeah. and i was just like blown away because i was like i didn't know you could write new songs that sound like happen jazz like i thought that was like <laughs> yeah. off the table and not a possibility um oh i will say just to backtrack and stop me if i talk too long because i do that um but uh a big one i also would have brought up when we were talking halfway to holland is are you guys fans of the progress oh yeah 
So the progress were huge for me in high school. Um, and I didn't like, I don't even know if the phrase emo revival existed. I certainly didn't hear it. Um, but they're from, you know, Jersey. I was from New York and there was, uh, Evan was also like working with and eventually joined that band Demira. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, absolutely like head over heels in love with Demira and would see them every chance I got. Um, and they would play purchase too. And so Evan was like, we found the progress through Demira and um, I've almost never heard anyone talk about Demira. <laughs> so it's interesting like, to hear that. Yeah. They're one of my favorite bands still, honestly. I mean, like, uh, those, I mean, both records, but music, like us in music. I mean, like I, to me, that like should be part of this conversation. It's like, a, it's adjacent to it, you know, cause they were like mm -hmm. a mathy post hardcore band. So they, yeah. I feel like they share DNA. Also anyway. a little ahead of their time. I feel. Yeah, for sure. Right. I feel like if they made that exact record in like 2012, like, and it came out maybe on top shelf instead of equal vision. Different, yeah. we'd be in a different world um anyway so like the progress were like huge for me and i was just like um you know me and a lot of my friends were just like wanting that kind of emo and like that was one that existed and there wasn't much and then like that ex thing at college where i heard that record and then it was like i think because i was going to school th there was this band at purchase that in that time they were called zona mexicana and i want to say like I forget exactly, but they have probably a member who ended up in like Sirs or something. Um, and uh, and so like, I think they were bringing like Algernon to our school and like My Heart to Joy and Touche Amore's like very short Northeast tour hit our school. Um, so it was like, at, like Tiger John Snowing played together at um, in our school then too. So it was like a lot of this stuff was coming through there mm -hmm. uh, before I was going to shows in Brooklyn as much. Okay. Um, so like that purchase community was kind of part of it. And like, it was interesting because like when I interviewed Tom Chiari from Hostage Common Run for Cover for the book, he was like, dude, purchase was like a hub for sure. Like that was almost like its own little scene. So it, it definitely like, um, yeah. it felt like I was not in as good of a place as Philly, but like in a better place than had I been in like, I don't know arkansas yeah no something. it's it is really funny when as soon as you mentioned that i'm like oh yeah like you you did have a pretty similar <laughs> yeah. experience in terms of access because mm -hmm. purchase was a huge and still is like a huge hub because their music program was so strong mm -hmm. it brought a lot of those creative people in there who then brought all their friends and their influences and you know people had connections to the student board and things like that student activities would bring the bands in and i mean i saw some crazy crazy shows at colleges and stuff and and one of them actually uh we'll get to it but um i saw title fight play with four years strong and the men singers at the college of new jersey's like parking lot mm, for sick. what they called rat fest and it was like insane this is like this is like hyperview era title mm. fight like they were like as big as they've ever been and they were playing a, a, a college parking lot and it was cool um I'm glad you mentioned Demira because I think a lot of people don't a don't know Demira and don't sort of know like that greater story of that band. Um, but also people who are into it over at fans um, should really go back and, and listen because um, and I can only say this because Evan and I worked together for that whole year. So I sort of like knew all, you know, I, I know the stories, I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have sort of a front row seat to that, but, um, you know, Evan was like three quarters of the way through 52 weeks, um, and joined Demira. And I think it was sort of, 
It was sort of great to see because they were such a nomadic band. They were sort of always on tour, which I think was something that Evan always wanted. Um, and just to see like his shift before that band and after that band is just incredible. Like I, I, you know, people who don't know us in music should really go back and check it out. It's such a great, great record. Um, weird videos, but great, great record. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's uh it from purchase though you did have access to a lot of the stuff that was happening in the New England scene, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Like Hostage Com, uh, was it At All Costs was the band before them? Yeah, and then um, you know, obviously you had My Heart to Joy, which was huge at the time. Which was, I mean, I'd love to get shitty greg on the pod and and talk about my heart to joy and and chris teddy for that matter but uh because that was also like an era like they felt ahead of their time as well and obviously Mm -hmm. they've seen you know way more success with with the world is and and you know whoever remaining members are in that but my heart to joy was everywhere for a while they did crazy huge tours long tours all self-booked and and uh and they were kind of gone before it all came to be as well it was pretty cool because would they would they break up like 2013, 2014? Before that, I mean, oh they, maybe it's yeah, twenty eleven, yeah. Because we yeah. we had Stephen uh, Stephen Welch on the pod, who I met at their final show, which was uh, pretty funny. But yeah, like that whole era of of weird Central Connecticut also had its own scene mm-hmm. coming around. It's cool. It's it's wild to see and all the stuff like Midwest emo playing everywhere but the Midwest for the most right. part. Right. Yeah, it's one one of my like little like funny like jokes is like, yeah, well, so uh the book's about like, you know, like Midwest style emo, which uh happened in Pennsylvania primarily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> it's true. Nobody ever thinks like uh new, the Pine Barrens of New Jersey were a real hotbed for a Midwest yeah, right. emo. What was that? What was that venue out in the middle of the woods? We talked about the sixteen nineteen house. Sixteen nineteen house, yeah. yeah. What a wacky place. The uh yeah, it's oh man, I'm excited for this book, man. This is Thank every- you. <laughs> so so let's talk a little bit about the Vegs before we move on to sure. uh the record. Um what's your what's your role your editor there? Yeah, I guess senior editor is the technical Ooh, title, but that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, right. Sounds a little professional, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What well, um it's I Brooklyn Vegan used to be a uh, a site that like I felt like didn't have much for me on it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden within the past, I don't know, eight years, you know, something like that, all of a sudden it's all things I'm interested in. Um was there like a shift there? Was there a changing of the guard or sort of uh, Well, according to our old anonymous commenters, I ruined it. Oh, so, cool. Uh no, I'm just um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, um, are you? Do you mean like this kind of stuff that we're talking about? This kind yeah, of music? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there was there was a huge. I mean, it, there was a point where it was like, yeah, yeah, yeahs, and like meet me in the bathroom music, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And uh, yeah, what was that shift? Well, it still is all that stuff too. It's it's definitely pretty like broad. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what well, one of the cool things about it from so I I've started there in 2010 so before i was there like bv always was pretty cool to like the punk scene in a way that like i think some of its peers weren't like you could like learn when lifetime's reunion tour was coming through on bv you know like there was a lot of that stuff happening um but i just think like as far as this 
like the you know we'll keep saying emo revival like that stuff i feel like just wasn't on the radar of a lot of those places i for me like and i probably told this story somewhere before but like um i was like with my boss and uh i was like the guy who started bv and i was like gonna go to a show that night and he was like oh who are you seeing and it was uh the law dispute defeater native former thieves tour in Ooh, 2011 yeah. and he was like oh like do you want to write about that that's happening on bv and i was like oh like i don't think it's really the kind of stuff we cover and he was like well if if you're going to the show and you're into those bands it could be something we cover so like it kind of spiraled from there like it was a weird thing where like um because you know like perception is a lot when it comes to this stuff and like you know like they were just like this site's for this music this site's for that music and so i i feel like at first i the bands that i pitched us writing about were the ones that I felt like crossed over a lot with indie rock. Like one of the first bands that I was like, we have to cover is Joyce Manor. Cause I was like, this is like basically an indie rock band. Like we can't talk about like cloud nothings, Japan droids and Titus Andronicus and act like Joyce Manor is like a different genre of music. Yeah. Um, and then like, I don't know who else was like a really, like, I mean, title fight was an early one too. Cause they had just put floral green out, uh, you know, not, not to do the thing, but like, you know, like that record, like, uh, I mean, the first single is like a shoegaze song. Um, and yeah. so it kind of like slowly would sort of the Menzingers put out on the possible past around that time. And that was a very like, again, it was the same thing. It's like, if you're listening to Japan droids and Titus Andronicus and you're not listening to on the impossible past, like I got news for you. Yeah. So it was a little bit of like, kind of like showing like, Hey, the thing, the things happening in the quote, indie rock world and the quote emo and punk world are not that different. Um, and yeah, then like, I think like, what becomes that dividing line? Right. It's all just perception and like what label you're on and who you tour with and things that for me personally are not interesting, like uh, only interesting to talk about how they're not interesting, you know, like, um, but then like you started to see like, you know, like Stereo Gum premiered Head in the Ceiling Fan. That was like that song came out on Stereo Gum and that was a huge deal. And like a f the following year, like Pitchfork premiered Ref Reflection by Balance and Composure. And it was just like the more that I guess the sort of quote indie rock blog world uh, embrace this stuff, I I feel from my perspective, I can only speak for myself. I have no idea what other writers were thinking. I feel like we were probably all looking at what each other was doing and being like, oh, hey, like Tiger Jaws on Pitchfork now. Like, you know, that's like a new barrier is broken down. Like if Tiger <laughs> Jaws on Pitchfork, like everybody should talk about Tiger Jaw. And it was like, there was some level, I think of for me as a writer, and I was young and I was not full time yet. So it's not like I could just march in and be like, news flash we cover algernon <laughs> cadwalder you know like so, yeah, news yeah. flash dipshits yeah. right so like um i it was a lot of i think seeing what could fit into the context of what the site was and i think eventually and i don't know like the exact moment but it just very it very gradually over time just became like yeah well the emo and punk scene is just another thing that we cover as much as we can just like the metal scene and the AAS scene and like um and and like you know we cover a ton of hip-hop and so it's like we just try to cover whatever music we like and i love punk and emo so that's a lot of the stuff that i write about yeah and i think it's 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 definitely important and i think a lot of outlets have kind of embraced it it's just like there's also become this semi-cult of personality of different writers that people like and it's like when dan ozzy was writing for noisy it's like oh it's a dan ozzy article i know it'll be 
mm-hmm. you know, worth my time or will be coming from a perspective that I understand or respect. And same with again, Cohen at Pitchfork. And I mean, your page, if I was going through articles, like uh, we've actually talked about your articles on this podcast unknowingly uh, a while back when we first started, but I, I came across your, um, in defense of the genre column with, mm. uh, 25 seminal chaotic hardcore mathcore and sasscore albums <laughs> because that list just sent me down like a spiral for like a month of just listening to like any of those weird you know going back and listening to that's like everything i listened to in college mm-hmm. yeah i was listening to like weird jimmy Eat world and then electro grindcore <laughs> you know and it, it took me down this whole, whole like rabbit hole that we talked about on the pod and um yeah if you click on your byline it I think takes you to 1900 pages of articles that's ridiculous. Uh, with <laughs> which uh and each page has like six or seven articles individually <laughs> so uh, if anyone wants to do that math it's a shit ton of coverage yeah it's really <laughs> funny i was today look trying to figure out a year that something happened mm-hmm. and the first article that came up about it was the one you wrote about it and i was like well, this is interesting. Um, it was about the um, that first House of Vans show with mm. fucked up title mm-hmm. fight and hop along. Like what? A, what a fun show! Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Damien hugged me. Very sweaty. I felt very. It felt very good <laughs> about that. Um, what a wild venue too mm-hmm. to like have shows like that. Um, yeah. Do you remember? I mean, how old were you at that show? Like twenty uh that was was that 2013 2013 yeah so yeah. i was 22 nice yeah. i was like 50 already it was crazy <laughs> did did you have a favorite or do you have a favorite new york venue man um current or defunct yeah right right uh okay i i it's funny because like i almost feel like this is a cheesy answer so don't make fun of me but i want to i want to say 285 can't Okay. But like, I feel like that makes me sound like, oh, we get it. You were like a hipster in 2011, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like a flex that you were there, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, right. Like, but I really did. Like, it was there was something about that place. Um, I mean, so to tie that venue back to emo, like uh, I saw the Touche Amore release show for Is Survived by there, Ooh, which United cool. Nations opened, um, and Jeff came on stage with Touche and did um, History of Shits itself with them. And that's like a top moment of my life. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and but it's like something about that venue where it's just like clearly a warehouse, no barrier. Like it's like the kind of shit that you like hear you're going to see in Bushwick, but then you go and it's like actually everything's nicer than that. You know? <laughs> so like um yeah. it felt it felt like one of the last remaining places to have like an actual DIY feeling experience. Yeah. in bushwick um and and you know like there because they booked that show but then also like there'd be like weird electronic shows there and like and then there'd be like both at once like i feel like i feel like when i saw cloud nothings there the opener was like some really pretentious dj and it was just like the most bushwick shit ever and you were like <laughs> you know what i'm glad it's this you know like yeah so. yeah no i think because there's a whole other community on the side of like the hip-hop side that 285 mm-hmm. Kent was like a hub for seeing a lot of underground oh, yeah. hip hop. That too, yeah. So it's and cool also that a like venue the legendary. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, I was just say it's cool that the venue has that kind of grasp across genres. That it was like a very important thing for not just a certain community. 
Yeah, it, like it really, and it captured like because to me that time is all that stuff. Like there was you brought up hip hop, like there was that sort of legendary like show where ASAP Rocky and Grimes, mm-hmm. like but yeah, and I want to say like did Odd Future and Trash Talk play two eighty five camp together? I think um, so I, or something similar. Yeah, that's true. what happened. Yeah, so like what I a think weird was, time like, with that crossover. <laughs> and Frank Ocean, Frank Ocean was on stage with Odd Future at that. Like crazy, and it was just like that's to me like that era was you know it was emo revival, but it was also Odd Future. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like, um, which at the time felt subversive and was underground yeah, and totally, you know, wasn't what it, you know, what Tyler, the creator is now, you know? Right. And I love what he's doing now, too. But yeah. there was definitely I something it, special about then. I think it's great because people really tried to cancel them for a while before yeah. before we knew what canceling was. And nothing um, stuck. It was pretty wild. They just said nothing stuck. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I remember there was a time in Philly where you weren't allowed to like. Uh, trash talk because like they were Joe hardcore didn't like them for some reason. <laughs> I still don't know why, but yeah. Um, but also, Wild Trash Talk had that crossover with the Odd Future crew. Like mm. it's so bizarre. Like like there's a the EP, the Trash Talk EP that Kenny Beats did, like produced mm-hmm. for them. It's so strange that, that why was that the hardcore band that uh cross? I mean, Trash Talk was on the Eric Andre show. Yeah, and they were on Odd Future Records. Oh, yeah. that's right. Oh, yeah, that's so wild. I, like, Eyes and Nines is such an underrated record for mm-hmm. like the drugged out hardcore genre. Like, <laughs> I think Straight Edge gets its own thing. I think we should go the other way and have like <laughs> I want to know what like druggy hardcore is. That's that's where I want to be. Um, Dan, what's your favorite New York venue? Oh God! And don't try to be cool. <laughs> no, I, I I did really love Suburbia. That's the first mm, one that comes yeah, to mind. For sure. uh, Suburbia was really cool until their landlord was found burnt alive in a dumpster. So, mm. <laughs> I don't know if ever if, if, if too many people know how that's how that ended. But uh, yeah, that was a I, lot of fun. I think I was with. Uh, I think that someone from Crime and Stereo lived there, mm-hmm. and I was I saw them. They played uh, a birthday show at, at Asbury Lanes. And I remember, like, one of them getting the text messages that the landlord was found murdered in a dumpster. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know what this means about rent now. <laughs> Very strange. But that place was so cool. It was such a weird space. Uh, the fact the place had, like, ten bedrooms, I think. And that the show space was, like, a place in the in the building that they lived in that was, could be completely separated from the living space was cool. But I remember uh, another, like, one of those nights of infamy the top shelf CMJ showcase at Suburbia was fucking wild. That was, that was so much fun. I, I need yeah. to like find the, cause I, I think they did two of them, but the, the one lineup was just unreal. What about you, Andrew? Hmm. What's yours? I don't know. I mean, uh when i was young coney island high was real fun to go see shows at i remember playing a show with river city high um Ooh, river and city being high, like, super underrated uh i would say they're accurately rated i mean if i can be honest with you right now me, me in my, my 40s me i can and my say friend, that i think listener kevin really enjoys them uh and half that band is in jack's like uh was it andrew mcmahon in the wilderness now i don't which, know so they're, they're crushing it Andrew um, McMahon's band, Jack Mannequin. I think North Six is probably my favorite venue, though. Um, I think just because I saw so many shows there and and worked around the corner, it was uh, not even around the corner. I worked a block away. Um, yeah, it was that was a great, great venue. I, I it gotta is bring a great it, venue. 
I gotta bring it up because I just brought up the top shelf CMJ from 2011. Here we go. Uh, the world is the Clippers, Sirs, Prawn, Saddest Landscape, and by surprise. <laughs> but I gotta awesome ask: show. Is the Clippers? Do they have any mention in the book? Yeah. They so, do- oh, okay. Um, it's so, that, so that's, like, that's how we know you're a real head. So, so you I pass the test. I have. Uh, I, I feel like I hopefully will still pass the test, but I also have a confession. So okay. I did not know the Clippers prior to interviewing a bunch of bands for the book uh-huh. um, just because they were so short-lived and it just like didn't cross my radar but tanner from you blew it hyped them up a lot to me and Tan man um i went back and listened to that ep and i cannot tell you how many times i've listened to that oh, ep in the perfect. last six months like that's it's like perfect. my favorite record of 2023 like i don't know if that's allowed to be my choice <laughs> but, like, it is like it, i think it is one of the like most absolute biggest most missing links in my oh life my and God. like doing this book has honestly been awesome for like you know finding because you're i think i don't know like you want to be like the cool person who's like nope i knew every band in real time you know yeah. <laughs> but like i feel like as much as you want that it's unlikely and i am you know not too ashamed to admit that i you know i'm learning some new stuff and the clippers are like my new favorite band yeah. and uh, yeah the clippers for people who don't know they were a two-piece uh they i they couldn't even say they played emo they just were on top shelf um they they sang songs about being on a boat and drinking wine and dancing with older women and goat cheese <laughs> so they were minus the bear kind of yeah or, which, or which vampire are, weekend they, uh, the, the, that's my favorite part of any of those bands but they were just a weird two-piece playing like really bizarre like i didn't even know how to place the music it was real jangly and fun and uh i saw them play a bunch and uh with everyone everywhere actually they they played a really weird show at andrew do you remember the book space on gerard or no it was on frankfurt me yeah yeah no. sorry i forgot there's two andrews on the pod philadelphia <laughs> no, I andrew do, no i do not remember philly andy over here <laughs> philly andy yeah uh no there, there was a place called the book space and it was this random it was in one of the warehouses like you're walking towards the barbary and occasionally the door would be open i did my first photo shoot for alternative press there actually with uh oh my god who was that band uh whatever but they they did a show there and it was um everyone everywhere the clippers i think uh, band name played maybe if you remember band name uh it was yeah it was wild but it's just it's literally a warehouse filled like floor to ceiling with books with like a pallet stage and it was really fucking cool but uh yeah the clippers uh, everyone go listen to the clippers they had i think they maybe have seven songs something like that yeah (laughs) they have a five song ep and then one split yeah Mm -hmm. love that and they they just ripped i'm i'm really glad that you bring them up because i basically like have been like i wonder when i'll get to talk about the Clippers, oh, like, while, yeah. <laughs> like, when, like yeah. while doing, I'm like, I'm sure I'll do some interviews for the book, and I'm just hoping, I'm like waiting for there to be a good opportunity to bring up the Clippers, and here it is. So. Awesome. <laughs> I love Fucking, it. Thanks, Tan Man. Yeah, yeah, knocking that one right out of the way early. But uh, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if Andrew has any more questions for you, but I, uh, I want to know. Ar- so- I'm going to parlay all my questions into uh, the forthcoming album. Perfect. Uh, I was just going to ask, so as someone who's a music writer currently, where do you find your new music? And, and what, what kind of, what are the hits right now you're listening to 
that isn't the Clippers in 2023? Um, man, I mean, where do you find it is like hard to answer. Um, let me let me answer the second question first. Okay. And then maybe that'll help me think of so like I mean, you know, we're we're in like we're basically in year endless season right now. So we're in the process of putting together our our lists and like some like my personal favorites um of like stuff that's on the newer side. Like, I mean, I absolutely love the military gun record, um, MS Paint. Uh I love the new home is where record, um, the awake but still in bed record. Um that's a few. I'll stop there. Your so, fifth I mean, wave I, head. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> um, but I mean, also like, you know, like, again, to say a cheesy thing that people will roll their eyes at, like my favorite current band, like by a mile is turnstile. Like, I don't even okay, care huge. if that's like, yeah. Um, and so I definitely like anyone doing anything a little bit like them right now is exciting to me. So like that for sure kind of led to military gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I was already like they did the demo in 2020 and like i knew ian from regional justice center and i was like this demo is cool but when they kind of like pivoted to something a little poppier right as like we were entering this moment for like you know like you have like the turnstile angel dust scowl like uh this whole kind of we know what we're talking about right this whole kind of wave yeah yeah. so like they kind of just hit right at that right moment and so like seeing i saw them like three or four times in the past year. And it's always just like losing my mind fist in the air kind of show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I follow a lot of labels on Bandcamp. Um, I follow other writers on Twitter who have similar tastes to me. Um, and like other bands, I mean, that's, that was a big thing too. Like during COVID when there was no shows to go to, and I was even more online than usual. Um, I just would like listen to every single like link that any band would tweet. Like, and uh, like there was this band, do you, do you know this band pulses with a period at the end? No, I think it was like, I think it was the callous Dow boys or one of those other like weirdos, like bands in that realm. Oh, I just yeah. been like, Oh, this shit is sick. And I like clicked play and I was like, this shit is sick. And so I was like doing like, and it was this yeah. band pulses. Um, and Carson from Callous Dowboys is on their new record. So I think that oh, maybe why I think it was them. Anyway, Callous Dowboys. I don't, I don't like know one if that answers ex- the question, but exciting bands in hardcore right now. Yeah, I'm yeah, actually, I'm going to start a rival hardcore band called the, uh, Philadelphia Peagles. It's going to be really <laughs> good. Look out for my EP forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's definitely hard to find music these days. I feel, and I'm, I kind of never use Spotify for the functions most people do in terms of like the new to you or the daily playlists and all that. So I never use any of that shit. Well, because that's, I mean, people are paying for placement on that, right? Like, I feel like you're not getting a. No, you don't. (laughs) Technically, no, no, but I'm sure there's something going on. There's got to be, right? I I feel like that is the algorithm trying to do what's like literally our job. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like, I I mean, because. I get very mad at the uh, now you got me all started. Oh, I get very mad up. at the at the algorithm because it you Tell. can't rep, you can't replicate like a human recommendation and like I just tweeted about this the other day and the example I used was it's it's uh, the algorithm sucks because it will tell you that Blink-182 fans also like the red jumpsuit apparatus, but it won't tell you to listen to the new Teenage Halloween record. And mm-hmm. so it's like that's the thing, right? It's like to me if you're like you know, in your middle age and you listen to Enema of the State when you were a teenager and you still love it and you want some new shit, like, 
it's don't just check out like exactly the same bit. Like, you know, there's so much new happening that you might yeah. like, and the algorithm's not doing that. And when we were young, Fest is not doing that. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it's like, put it this way like anything with money behind it, I don't know that you can trust to like help right. you make a decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I agree with you. It's very difficult. I was very frustrated. One of my favorite, probably. Um, I don't want to like give away what my what I think my album of the year is, but like, you know, I I was shocked the uh, the algorithm, you know, for me listening to so much Phoebe Bridgers never told me about Fen Lily, um, and that Fen Lily big picture album like hit me in the head. It was unbelievable. Uh, it is unbelievable. I don't know, like it's not past tense. It's current. Um, but like, yeah, I you know why didn't the algorithm give me that? Why you know. Yeah, no, it's uh, instead you what people should be doing is subscribing to our Patreon and then listening to our <laughs> monthly mixes to find uh their When's new the favorite last time album. you put a new favorite album on there? I think there's a <laughs> I put the what was it on the one that'll be out in uh for December. I put out uh the new remix of Where's Your Head At by 100 Gex and Basement Jacks. That's a new song. That just came out very disappointed in you right now um <laughs> song rips. you guys want to talk about old title fight yeah yeah let's do it the this russian is brothers 10 years old now right Thir- or 13 uh sorry 11 i guess right because it last that's year okay. was the 10th Crazy. yeah 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 that's that's insane it feels like another thing i like live through then that just feels so so far away <laughs> so you wrote a really great uh piece about this record um what uh what like initially you know i mean obviously you know you'd heard shed and all that what were your like first initial reactions to to floral green floral green so okay so like the first thing i heard was head in the ceiling fan when it came out as a single um and the truth is for me like i was not super into title fight when they had only had shed and the, and the EPs before it, I was like, they're super solid. Um, I'm not really in the market for a band that sounds like lifetime right now. It was just like, not where I was at that time. Um, and they sound a lot like lifetime on the first song on shed. And so maybe the version of me at that age didn't hear the second half of the record. But, <laughs> um, so I like went into floral green, like not with any expectation other than like, I will check out the new record by this band I've been hearing about who are not necessarily like my favorite band in the world. Um, and head in the ceiling fam was like a total revelation. And it was just like, this shit sounds like hum. Nobody mm-hmm. was doing that at that point. Now there are like a thousand bands who sound like hum. Nobody yeah, yeah. sounded like hum when they did head in the ceiling fan. Um, and I was like, okay. Like it was like, it wasn't like I was like immediately like, wow, everything changed overnight, but it was just like, huh, you know, like, and it was kind of like, so like, I got to hear the whole record and I did that. And I just remember like getting through once and just being like, whoa, <laughs> like I was like this, this is the new title fight record. Mm-hmm. Like I was shocked, honestly, it just like, and it like just very quickly became like one of my favorite albums of that year. Um, we had the poster in our college apartment um the the floral green like the big title fight words Mm -hmm. um and i went to the tour with i think it was pianos like i'm a teeth tiger's jaw single mothers 
and one other band um if i'm not confusing bills um but fucking like it was bowery ballroom in new york i think it was sold out and so that's like for them like they're big at that point um and yeah yeah. and it was nuts because it's like there's a barrier um you know like i mean i think a lot of people say this about title fight but like it's kind of wild the way people go off for them when they don't have someone who just does vocals, you know, cause it's like, there's, you can't have that, that sort of like Mike in the crowd thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, nope, no, like there's a barrier. There's no one who just does vocals. And it was still like, it was one of the rowdiest shows. Like I've probably ever been at in my entire life. And it was like, this record had been out for a few weeks and like, yeah, I, I watched cool, cause in your, in your, the thing you wrote, uh, Will Yips, Will Yip says something very, very similar mm-hmm. about seeing like people go off to Floral Green um, in that way. Uh, and yeah, it, it's it's an incredible shift. I'm sorry, Daniel. Continue. No, I was gonna say it's it's their shows are something very unique in the way that I was watching some old Hate Five Six videos of them from this era, like 2015, 2014, and. Ned has trouble singing into the microphone. You can tell, you can tell he's been hit in the mouth by oh, the mic yeah. before because he he's real hesitant, and he, he backs off the mic anytime someone's about to get on stage. But people are he's just dodging uh, stage divers left and right, mm-hmm. like people running between him and the microphone, which is a big faux pas. But <laughs> he can't even like get to the mic to finish the words because there's so much activity on the stage. But um. Yeah, the energy from this is is just nuts. What so you said did you get in during like the Kingston EP? So like the I Kingston must seven have, inch? I must have first heard them on Last Thing You Forget. Okay. And it was again, like it was just like and that stuff really sounds like lifetime. And just to be clear, I absolutely love everything title fights ever done at this point. Mm-hmm. Um but it, I was Last thing you forget, last thing you forget came out when I was 18. I'm not gonna lie, I was in like my Fleet Foxes phase. Okay. You know, like that's like that's all. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't it wasn't them, it was me, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I had friends who were like into them hard, and I was just like, I don't know, like I already listened to Jersey's best answers, you know, like I don't need um, it again. Sure, I get it. <laughs> yeah, like and then like Shed came out and I it was again, I like sampled it. I was like, it sounds like they're still doing the same kind of thing. Um, so that was yeah, last thing you forget would have been the first, probably the first time oh. I heard them. Um that's a collection, be, right? That's not actually yeah, an it's, EP. So it's, yeah. it's last thing you forget. I I think the way it's considered is last thing you forget, like EP is the first three tracks, but then last thing you forget compilation is I think that's how it works. I could yeah, yeah. I think because it, it's a mixture of the last thing you forget, uh, seven inch, the Kingston seven inch, and then I think there's a Western Haikus was the new and track on and there. And there's their side of the Erection Kids split. Yeah, which was yeah, the yeah. So prior, it's, it's pro, pro proto balance like composure. Band. Yep. Two, yeah. two, yeah, two EPs and or two, you know, seven inches, a split and and a single. And uh, which I didn't even realize. I knew about the Kingston seven inch, and then just thought that that was tacked into uh, that comp. But that was the first thing I heard. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny you mentioned Flora Green's kind of where you got on board. Flora Green is where I kind of got off a little bit. So uh, I'm I'm interested to to continue the conversation accordingly. That's interesting. But- I I head uh, in the ceiling fan missed me completely. Really? Um, the first thing I ever saw of Title Fight, besides like, I think we probably listened to Shed in the van a couple times, but the first thing I ever heard um, 
or Saul was the Secret Society video. Mm, and I, wild video. I, no joke, listened to Secret Society on repeat for days. Like, <laughs> the only thing I listened to was this three minutes and something piece of music that was like, flawless yeah i was like if you never do anything else this is your mona lisa this song is <laughs> so incredible yeah i think that's like i mean there are so many best title fight songs but mm -hmm. that's that's one of them like de depending on the day i might be like secret society is the best title fight song it was certainly mm -hmm. the one that like really really spoke to me because i really like um just like hard on sleeve super sincere like heavy melodic punk shit in that you know what i mean like that mm. like that one was they're almost a little hot water music -y on that song yeah, like it checks yeah every fucking box you could possibly have yeah. for like post hardcore aggressive mm -hmm. music um you know an intro that starts with like the filthiest bass you've ever mm -hmm. heard and like uh yeah just like what an incredible and it's weird because i mean how old were they when when they wrote floral green so I think they're two years older than me. So they would have been like 23 like, or, they, or they would have been 23 when it came out. So they probably would have been like 22 writing. That it. blows my fucking mind. Yeah. Do you know what fucking bullshit I was writing at like 21 and 22? Like hey, man, they did Kingston when they were like 16. Well, that's you know? the thing. Like, yeah, that's, apparently yeah, I, was, like, I was looking on their wiki. They, they've been a band technically since 2003. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> I mean, so have you ever like, so I, this is very recent for me because of the thing I'm working on. Have you listened to like all those really old demos and EPs like prior to the stuff that's on last thing you forget? No, I haven't. You should. It's all on YouTube. Not like legally, but I doubt anybody cares. It's not like they're trying to make money off that stuff. Just go through because like the thing about title fight is you hear the progression happening like at every single turn because okay. it's like the first demo is like okay they listen to blink 82 and they're 12 years old and they're learning how to play yeah. and then it's like oh they're like still just listening to blink 82 probably newfound glory getting a little bit better and then it's like oh they found lifetime and they're really fucking tight like and, and it just like it just you're like and then they're like 14 on that one that's like the 2005 demo they're like <sighs> i think they have to maybe they're even younger than whatever they are but it's like that's the moment i feel like it all starts to coalesce and then they go from that to this this one in 2006 and then kingston just two years later mm -hmm. which like to me kingston holds up against that any, that selection you know, like, of three songs are yeah the perfect they're, they're probably some of the better so oh, they're at least the songs that connected with me when i first heard that record like mm -hmm. this actually just unlocked a very funny memory of mine because i i regarded um memorial field to be like the perfect pop punk song at the time uh now i'd probably say of that record symmetry or uh Yuria, but uh just because it's got that really good riff but i remember so that andrew you'll get a kick out of this too i went to a focus group slash listening party for the first like true um man overboard lp and i think it was at gradwell house and we just sat and listened to the record and they handed out like feedback forms <laughs> that asked questions about like, what do you think is the the best pop punk song? And I remember writing down Memorial Field at the time, but I just remembered that it's like filling out the pop punk feedback card was so fucking funny. I love um, that. Yeah, very good. But yeah, that, that first record. And then I feel like I even kind of fell off a little bit on Shed. 
a little mm. bit. I found out that a friend of the pod, Jay Maz, actually produced a lot of stuff on that first uh, title fight record. He, uh, he did um, Last Thing You Forget, the three new songs for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Walter Schreifels produced the second LP, which is Walter bananas. Bruce said and William um, engineered. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was, yeah. Which is awesome. But that's like, yeah. that's got to be the fucking dream when you're a young band like that. Oh, and you yeah. get to have like one of your heroes <laughs> produce your record is that's that's what it's about. It's no, what year was that? Hold on, hold on. What year was Shed? 2011. Yeah. So what was Walter doing in 2011? He had actually just put out that was the same year as the Rival Schools like comeback record. Mm. Right. Pedals, I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to have a historian on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Pedals is good. I I think Rival Schools are such an often overlooked piece oh, love, of love like Rival. a oh, connector yeah. so between hardcore and sort of like modern oh, post hardcore. Yeah. Um I feel like a lot yeah. of bands have a lot of that to owe to the as well, um, for sure. Especially I mean, stuff I, that's now like that bridge of like, like you mentioned, Military Gun, mm-hmm. uh, like Drug Church. A lot of that stuff is like that crossover, and for there's sure. so much of that right now. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a really cool that's, moment in in music. Are either are either of you into that new Spiritual Cramp record? I still haven't listened to it yet. Mm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. So yeah, Floral Green, I remember when this came out too. Uh Head in the Ceiling fan broke everyone's brains in the sense that like people I think were kind of drinking the title fight Kool-Aid that they kind of convinced themselves that they liked it. Cause it, it is such a huge departure from Shed. Mm-hmm. And especially a huge departure from Last Thing You Forget, to then put your first single out. Like if they put Secret Society out as their first single. It would make more sense in the timeline, but the fact that they like really threw a wrench in the gears and put out "Head in the Ceiling" fan as their first single, kind of a, a crazy, crazy move. Totally crazy, and I mean, crazy. I think in the best way and in the most title fight way. Yeah. Um, and I think like it's really interesting because again, like with that sort of like it's funny like my perspective versus yours because like that being the thing that hooked me yeah um i can only be like great move yeah but, like, i can totally <laughs> see like you know like uh being like ready for shed part two and hearing that and just being like really disappointed um yeah I, like i said i think there was such a, a hype around them that it probably forced a lot of people to kind of open up their brains a little bit and then pretend that they were into merge records the whole time, you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, like they ran out as fast as they could to buy a Swerve Driver record, just to be like, no, no, I love this stuff all it's, it's for since I was a kid. Uh, but it was it was pretty wild, like the amount of Kool Aid that was drank in the title fight world. Like I, I never thought I never thought about how many uh, how many people. Uh, went out and bought like Mezcal Head by Swerve Driver like <laughs> after that record came out. Yeah. I wonder but- how much of a spike like was was Title Fight responsible for like the uh oh my god. Um the slow dive reunion. Like can we <laughs> yeah, can what we was thank the-, the Russian brothers for that? What was the butterfly effect on that? Uh also, I did one thing I didn't know was that Nate, Ned and Ben's brother is in Cold World, which mm-hmm. makes sense why they have like good taste in terms of like hardcore. Um, but I I knew people or I knew of people who literally would like make 
regular pilgrimages uh, to like Wilkesbury. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy that I mean that again talking about scenes and things like that. The Wilkesbury scene was nuts with them, Tiger's Jaw, Captain, we're sinking. Um, you know, uh, what was the other one? Menzingers. Menzingers, yeah. You're like it's crazy that again, like, and I didn't know that Title Fight were the ones who like opened the Redwoods art space, like mm-hmm. as children. <laughs> like it's it's bananas. But yeah, I knew people who were like gotten to film photography because Title Fight like shot all their videos on eight millimeter and VHS, and mm-hmm. they started. You know, they were tastemakers in such an incredible way that so many people fell in line. Totally. You know, they just I mean, introduced people to like cool things. Um yeah. and and to kind of really put things into perspective of how crazy the era was, Jamie, the guitarist, had an interview with GQ about his hardcore shirt collection. Like things that don't make sense <laughs> were happening at this time. Like uh I would say Turnstile have surpassed them in terms of kind of public knowledge or like you know access to the public but has turnstile been in gq like i mean uh, they might have been maybe (laughs) but at the um, time i mean seeing that was just bonkers yeah they've been in gq i just googled it more than once okay okay (laughs) but Um, title fight opened that door (laughs) yeah no for sure i mean title (laughs) title fight were in nylon oh true (laughs) yeah i mean I, it's definitely, I definitely think that, you know, Title Fight for sure opened doors for Turnstile. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, like, undoubtable. I mean, I I like, you know, I'm sure you guys have, like, sort of m- music nerd, like, dream festival type things, you know, and I'm like, if Title Fight would reunite and co-headline with Turnstile, I'll just die happy. That's like my, <laughs> that's my personal... Yeah. I mean, that's like actual arenas. You know right. what I mean? I, I, like, I, that's. I think I want to see it happen at the Garden. You know, like I'm like I don't. <laughs> I don't want to. Like I mean, I obviously would rather Title Fight reunite and play like you know a basement. I'm more crazy, of a f- but like four, realistic, four, like, four nights at Webster Hall. Let's yeah, do that yeah. instead. I mean, that, but see, I think it's got to be like go big or go way small. You know, like either prove to the world that like. 2010s post hardcore could produce like a co-headlining arena uh-huh. show or do it the really really DIY way and do like what Have Heart did and just play like a parking lot. You know, yeah. like it's it's got to be like one idea. extreme or the other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, so you heard head in the ceiling fan, it broke your brain. You then kind of worked backwards, I guess, and yeah, and rediscovered so, the other stuff. Yeah, so I got really obsessed with floral green um again saw the tour and i remember like seeing the tour and then seeing the song shed live for the first time and like because the other thing too is like whenever you get into a band and they have records out already and then you go see them and they play like the older song that people really love you know like so like the energy was crazy yeah and then they played the song shed and the energy was crazier yeah so it's like all right i'm like going home and putting shed on um and it just Go ahead. No, this is such a stupid, like, it just popped into my head. I'm going to forget it if I don't ask you right this fucking second. (laughs) Um, Do they, have they changed? I mean, because the style has changed so much between the the records. Have the way they played the old songs changed at all? I don't think so, no. Interesting. That's all. 
continue yeah, my fault <laughs> I, but no i that's definitely like a, a thing i want to touch on though is when you said it's like sometimes seeing it live is the the switch that needs to get flipped in your brain to appreciate something yeah for sure and to um, see everyone else going off and feeling that energy and then being able to like apply that energy to listening to it later it it really changes things so many of my favorite songs are exactly that like older song by a band i got into on a newer record saw live saw that song saw mm. people go off like um i mean like just like in this world another big one for me would be like menzinger's deep sleep like um because i really got into the menzinger's and on the impossible pass like on a mm -hmm. serious level yeah um same. and it's like seeing like when i go back to some of these older records i'm like oh yeah like i know all the words to this song just because i saw him play it eight times you know yeah. so it's like sometimes you like you're like do I, did i listen to that record a lot or did they just always play that song yeah yeah, no, it's just, I was going through my old photos. I saw Title Fight open for Set Your Goals, and I think Comeback Kid in, uh, it was May 5th, 2010, <laughs> at the Holyoke Waterfront. And that was like, a, like again, like pretty small venue, bonkers. Like I said, they were doing second support slot <laughs> to mm -hmm. set your goals. <laughs> and, uh, but, but again, like makes a lot of sense. Like Set Your Goals at the time, we're kind of a little hardcore crossover band. And uh, I feel like set they your don't... goals? Set your goals, yeah. Hmm. Do, you, do you not disagree? No, I do disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I think you want that to be true. I'm I not trying like... to start a fight with you, but I think you want that to be true. I mean, I was never the, the biggest Set Your Goals fan, but I, they played... I mean, they were opening for Comeback Kid. Like, I have to defend. I have to defend Dan. I gotta. Um, oh yeah. I I think that they were like they, they were crossed the line between punk. hardcore and pop punk in yeah. a way that like I think had a meaningful impact on. I I yeah. felt the opposite. I felt like they were a band that that straddled that line to like a disingenuous uh, <laughs> uh, amount. Come on, put on um, Flight of the Navigator. That re record is recorded horribly. But uh, my favorite thing about, uh, and they, they've mentioned it on Axagon a few times, uh, they've had, they got Haley Williams on a song, and then instead of making her sing, you know, the thing she does, she instead raps on one of their songs. Fuck yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, you're, really, you're really turning me around now. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But uh, yeah, so where, where were we? <laughs> oh man uh yeah there, there's stuff on this record though listening to it now i definitely appreciate a lot more than i did looking for another shed like you said mm -hmm. uh because there, there was st stuff on this record that would stuff i would listen to but if i always wanted to like go back and listen to symmetry or listen to like evander or stuff off that first record that's the stuff that just stuck with me in a very specific way and even stuff off Shed, it, it never quite caught me the same way. But now listening to Foro Green with enough separation between those things, like it really kind of comes into its own in in a lot of great ways. Like the first track, I think, is an excellent opening track. I love that first line of, well, did you know I held my breath through every tunnel is such a mm. good fucking line. And it just plays repeatedly in my head for the last week. It uh, reminds <laughs> me of the of the Reiner Maria song that starts off traffic lights 
go yellow, kiss and a slap on the roof. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make that connection. I don't know, like car rituals. Come oh, on, Dan, yeah. keep the fuck up. <laughs> I missed the theme. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on like the sequencing of the record and how it all kind of plays out? Perfect. Yeah? <laughs> no notes. Um, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I had it on like two hours ago because mm-hmm. I was like, let me have it like really fresh, you know? And it's like, so I have it in front of me. I'm looking at the track list. So mm-hmm. if my eyes look like they're looking at something else, it's the track list. Um, I mean, Numb But I Still Feel It is an absolutely, like that song is written to be an opener, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously. Leaf, I think is a sick track too. Um, the... Stop me if I get all too nerdy here. I, the the uh, the the way they do the lead guitar on Leaf has always given Hot Rod Circuit to me. Okay, um, and so like I think I always thought that was like a really. It reminds me of the way that like Hot Rod have um, uh, Super Sad as track two on If It's Cool with You, It's Cool with Me, and it's got that same kind of like that like driving and then like the lead doing the bendy shit, and it's like so I'm like okay like. maybe inadvertently taking a note out of hot rod circuits book but always cool with me whether it's intentional or not Mm -hmm. uh to do that so and then i mean like a ritual is like because you get you start off with like these two just like real hard songs and like a ritual i feel like is like i mean jamie's singing is so good on that song and it's like you're just kind of starting to see like the breath of the album open up and then secret society hits and we've already talked about what this song can do Mm -hmm. and then to go from that into head in the ceiling fan i mean it just it just felt like it's like each track on the record is so intentional and so meaningful and and showing something different and building up in such a natural way like that. I won't even get into the rest, though I could, but that first five to me is one of those like perfect side A type sequences. Yeah, no, I I just, I just confirmed like the, the actual like track listing with the sides and yeah, head in the ceiling fan is a perfect way to end a side on a record for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I do kind of feel like it does fade out a little bit in the back half. Mm-hmm. Um, make you cry, sympathy and frown are great, but then callous, the lefty, and in between, I think, kind of doesn't quite leave as much of an impression on me personally. So here's, so I sympathy was kind of low key my favorite track on the record. Oh, um, sy- sympathy is like, uh, you know, like and ned talked about this when i interviewed him for that piece last year like that the that song is very like grappling with wanting to leave behind like a legacy and wanting to um be remembered for something which funnily enough is like the same theme as touche amores is survived by which came out around the same time and Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure something is in the water and it's an age thing and i was also around that age and like that spoke to me like here like we're talking about lyrics in this record hearing ned be like i never wanted sympathy i i just want to be interesting like and it just like that spoke to like quarter life crisis andrew so much like i was like yeah so i it's like is that as is it written as well as secret society and having the ceiling fan and numb but i still feel it no but like ned just pouring his heart into that song that's a that's a, a highlight for me yeah no that makes a lot of sense it's uh you know, I think that one of the most interesting things, especially talking about lyrical content and sort of like the narrative woven through the record, is like I think a lot of this material, especially written by people of this age, has more to do with um like external things 
Whereas I feel like this record is very inter, very introverted, very the sorry introspective, not introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if if you would agree, uh, but I think I think the first time I heard sympathy, I heard it more as like a relationship song, and then later I sort of put the rest of it together. Yeah, it's it's there's some really good stuff. Introspe- like yeah, like the the stuff it it feels like a lot of internal battle kind of inter like almost like internal monologue kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but also and, like a lot of like what's the use? You true. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I was I'm looking at my notes, and one of the uh, the things I do kind of miss that shows up a little less in this is in the first, especially the last thing you forget. They really utilized a lot of the back and forth vocals between Ned and Jamie. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really kind of doesn't happen as much on this record, which probably for the basis of coherent songwriting, it makes things a little less all over the place, which, you know, it probably serves a greater picture a little better. Uh, but- can I tell you coming from somebody who was in a band that had two lead singers, it mm-hmm. is very difficult and it fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's not a surprise that Jimmy world, you know, went yeah. with one singer, you know, it's not a surprise the Get Up Kids went with one singer. Um, but that's all. Yeah, no, it's because uh, Jamie doesn't show up as too much on this record. I mean, he's the one who does lead vocals on Head in the Ceiling fan, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really kind of go back and forth with Ned too much on this. I do love, oh, actually, one of the bright spots on the back half of the record is uh, when they're both singing the chorus and make you cry. That harmony is so, so good and kind of really lifts things up for me in that back half. Um, oh, man. The <laughs> one thing I, I, I got to mention, it's very funny. Whenever we do these episodes, I always like look at the Genius uh, lyrics page. Mm-hmm. And occasionally there'll be like a, you know, unconfirmed contributor or whatever. And someone just commented on a bunch of like the perceptively like deep lines on this record with just i can't take it anymore (laughs) and he did it all like five different instances in the song that's like you know like a line that's just like i still remember the things we did or something like that and it's like i can't take it anymore like (laughs) it's like totally some some kid in his like childhood bedroom being like i totally feel this way it was Mm -hmm. you it was so funny (laughs) but childhood uh, bedroom (laughs) But yeah, like what uh like the songwriting wise on this, like you really feel that kind of movement towards what eventually kind of becomes hyperview, mm-hmm. which I'm very curious your perspective on hyperview. Sure. So uh before I answer, I would also say one of the best songs on the second half is Lefty, which mm-hmm. I think is really just as important as Head in the Ceiling Fan as far okay. as like the um the sort of blending of shoegaze and like punk emo. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's like, everyone's like, Oh, head in the ceiling fan. And it's like lefty, I think did it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to like combine a lot of things at once, like you talked about people learning so much from title fight and following their taste. I mean, I think they're absolutely trendsetters. I think like um, whether bands will admit it or not, whether it was indirect or direct, after this record, there are so many bands blending punk and shoegaze or emo and shoegaze. Oh, yeah. um, and also just like bands, I think from this world, seeing like 
what else you could do. Like, I don't think like turnovers peripheral peripheral vision doesn't sound like floral green, but I don't know if that record exists without floral green, you know, the, the way yeah. like, yeah. So I like, think there's, there's a lot of records that don't, I mean, of right. this era, there's a yeah. you know, citizen wouldn't sound like citizen turnover yeah. wouldn't sound like turnover. I mean, I, um, I remember sure. what turnover sounded like before they put their record out. And then, I, right. mean, I just, they sound I like crucial that, like, dudes. It was very strange. <laughs> every single, every single era of like punk or hardcore needs a record that comes along and like makes everybody look in a different direction. It makes you know everyone I mean? kind of like grow up a little bit. There's Absolutely. you know the, the genre is so plagued by having to live in a box. Um, mm -hmm. Old, you know, old what I would call old school hardcore, like New York hardcore all lived in a box if you wanted to play hardcore that's what you did um and it was the bands that stepped out of that that like made everybody look at like you we can play hardcore but we can also like the cure which is pretty sick um <laughs> and i think that like this is such a uh, such a record that's like a uh, such a significant shift in like not just a small genre i'm talking like a pivotal moment in you know uh independent music as a whole maybe i'm giving it too much credit maybe no, i'm just you're, really you're not, excited though. like you're you're really not i mean i think like the 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 reach of floral green's influence is it's it's deeper than we can even see i think mm -hmm. like i like i mean even just just like off the top of my head like christian from the hotel year is like that's a huge influence not like musically but just like on being yourself like and so like i think that's i think a lot of like yeah i think there are so many bands out there that we don't even realize are influenced by floral green and then to get to hyperview like just you know andrew to what you said like the punk scene the hardcore scene like whatever you call it the emo scene like it it does need those bands to like push the envelope and challenge people and i think hyperview when it came out pushed a lot of people further than they were comfortable with um, yeah. More so, like, I think Floral Green was, like, a pretty easy thing to get into after Shed outside of maybe a couple songs. Mm -hmm. um, I think Hyperview is one of those records that's, like, I, I, I don't, like, it's it's so out, outside of, like, what people were expecting. Um, but I also think that, I mean, obviously there are some people who swear by it and people who loved it from day one. I think that when you're left with a record like that over time and you keep going back to it, like that is, that's the type, that record is like built to be a grower, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. to me, that's like a Sunday day real estate is how it feels to be something on, you know, it's like, that's not the record people were hoping for, but that's now my favorite record by that band. Like, um, so I think Hyperview is like, the more you go back to Hyperview, the more you realize how ahead of everybody they were. And I think it's, just as good as everything else they've ever put out um like floral green's my favorite title fight record but i probably listen to hyperview more now than floral green i listen to floral green religiously when it came out and i listen to hyperview like i listened to hyperview a lot because it was title fight and then i kind of fell off but then like over the years when i reached for title fight it just felt like i'd always be hearing something new in hyperview like it's just it's like a record that's built to come back to i think I think my first reaction to Hyperview was, I think this is a great record, but I think this is like a big leap to ask a fan base to take with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, you know, I don't know 
you know, if there was any drop off or like if everybody did take that leap, um, you know, I mean, you were there. What, you know, did people go along? Was it seeing Hyperview live when it first came out? It was like the calmest title fight crowds during those songs that I've ever seen. So it, I, I think there were some confused people for sure. Yeah, they're, they're not go off songs, you right. know, and and that's that's another thing, too, is title fight at the time where the king of the posse jumps mm -hmm. i have so many photos of jamie like full spread four feet off the ground posse jump photos of him of that time and uh, it's not posse jump music hyperview is is i think jamie had really long hair at the time mm -hmm. like everyone just had a different look everyone was tucking their t-shirts into their jeans it was just a different vibe and, I mean, uh, and they took they, that tour. They took out merchandise and Power Trip, which was like, <laughs> yeah, so was like, <laughs> um, but it speaks to who they were at that point. Yeah. You know, like they because yeah, they were like, I feel like they were telling you, like, we're both things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, we're, yeah, like, we're going to slot ourselves right in between. Yeah, and it's like it's not a posi jump record, but like, also thank God, I think, because like, it's the only thing worse than confusing your fan base is like overtly. Catering to them in an insincere way, I think. Right. Yeah, you know, oh, no, like, that's true. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I, I don't want to start naming names. Um, I do want to start naming names, but <laughs> um, so here's my question for you: Where do you think, if we would have got another title fight record, where do you think it would have landed on that trajectory? Like, do you think it would have had that same arc? Do you think it would have been further out? You know, any thoughts? my honest answer is i no idea and like when it's title fight expect the unexpected right um but i mean i mean listening to glitterer you know like um i feel like ned went i don't i mean i don't know if that would have because the title fights also you might have to cut this part of the podcast it might be boring <laughs> but like, Gl Gl glitterer but is the emo to uh rave pipeline <laughs> we'll come back to that <laughs> um uh i don't know um i mean i think title fight's one of those bands that like it has to be the four of them you know because mm -hmm. like i like glitterer but like there's a s total magic when it's the four of them and so i don't even know if glitterer is a sign of what they would sound like because like i pretty like because you know you talked about like this is a very ned record like hyperview is a very jamie record um and ned had said like that was a, he had written more for it that got cut and that was just because the band including him liked a lot of jamie songs more and mm -hmm. it wasn't like any other reason um yeah. so i think like if you would have ned and jamie both contributing me and we have no idea what jamie's new music would sound like because like where is jamie um but like uh i don't know like i i feel i feel like they would probably if i had to guess I think they would probably make something a bit harder hitting than Hyperview, like, I mean, like heavier music, because one thing Ned said was Hyperview is a really, really fun record to make, and he would never want to make a record like that again, like the process of it, because it was such a studio album. Like, mm -hmm. Shed is literally like four people in a room playing and Walter hit record. Right. Like, that's literally what you're hearing. And Hyperview is like put together like a Radiohead record, like, you know, piece by piece. Like, it's sure. not like a punk band. Yeah. And I think Ned has expressed like, I'd want, I, I don't like that as much. So I feel like they would maybe make 
like a, a more rockin' record again. But I don't think they would like look backwards and be like, all right, let's just like do shed again. Like, I feel like it would be some just unknown to us currently way of being like a bit heavier, but also still pushing forward. And I know that's like, I sound like a press release or something, but like, no, but um, like, I, you know, I, I thought about it when I, you know, when I, when I listened to Hyperview today and I was like, could there have been another title fight record? Like, I don't know if there, there could have been, I think that this like completes the arc. You know what I mean? I think that this like fills out, you know, what, children who grew up together you know as artists can grow to produce um which i think you know it's it just incredible to have sort of like the same group of people just take that journey together it's really really amazing um dan then, you had something to say that was important oh no i mean it's just they claim that they're <laughs> not uh they're not broken up you know they claim they're on hiatus uh, it is a good question where Jamie well, they is. They didn't claim they were on hiatus either. Oh, they didn't. They just yeah, they, they they're just they have taking said a nothing. break. They yeah. have, no, they have literally said nothing, and that that's like what Ned maintains. He's like, we have not given a name to what we we are just and we have just not played a show in five years. Yeah, oh, it's only been five years. I guess that's true. Yeah, it, feels it, it, it feels like it they've been this void, longer. you know? Yeah, and that that is an interesting thing because. There's been a lot of bands that I've seen, and I'm sure you've covered it in the book, but like great success, and then just kind of like, well, this is actually a little too much than what we wanted. This is not just like a fun project anymore. Like Modern Baseball is a great example where Brendan was just like, I can't handle doing shows like mentally, like it's just not something I can do right now. And then they kind of just left it at that. And uh, same with Hotel Year. I mean, they just got back together, but they put out, you know, some like again, Home Like No Place There Is is an insane genre defining record. And then they kind of went a little their hyper view a little bit with the the record after that, which is great. It's just different. And then they kind of just dissipated <laughs> until this and, reunion tour came back. And it's and, like, the, sorry. Oh no, no, go on. No, I just it was just going to say like it's like the classic emo trajectory. It's like you're you're seen classic, uh you're slightly more like mature record mm-hmm. that's still loved by the scene and then you're weird one and then you're hiatus. Yeah. Like that's just like the um I get the hotel year kind of did like the first and second in one because I feel like it never yeah. goes out is not one of those. Anyway, but also uh, that I, record I is really think, good though. Yeah, it's great. Um I think also like, you know, because these are DIY bands that we're talking about. Like, you know, like it's like the Kurt Cobain thing is kind of true, you know, of like him being like, like you, you want to have fun with your friends and write songs and play shows. You aren't necessarily wanting to be famous. Being famous is so different. Um, And I think like, I think a lot of these bands just like, it's weird because I was surprised, I guess that nobody from this world like became like the new My Chemical Romance or something. I mean, I guess the yeah. closest thing would be like Turnstile, but mm, you, right. but that's also like, but that's that's happening currently. You yeah, know what I mean, like, and, and they're also like you know more firmly the hardcore scene right. too, yeah. and so which is even weirder. But um, but like I I think I was like expecting that, but then I'm almost like maybe it didn't happen because 
all those bands got so far removed from where they came from. And then, and then there was like a second generation that didn't even come from where they came from. Yeah. Um, and I think these bands, I don't know, maybe they like learned from their predecessors and were just kind of like, let's not get that far. Like, it seems like people cut themselves off. Yeah. I mean, there's a big difference with anything. And like, even, you know, me taking photography into being a career and same with a band, like there is this defining line you have to cross to become a business and to be a band, you have to become a business at some point. You have to start paying taxes on your fucking merch sales so you could write off your mileage. Like in order to do that, you have to register as a, as a business. And when you're playing music with your friends and now all of a sudden you have to do band taxes, it really kind of takes the wind out of a lot of sales unless you truly have the force to be like, this is what I want to do for a living. And I have to make some sacrifices in the fun parts to continue being able to be paid to do the fun parts. And uh, it, it's a line that's hard to cross. It's a line that once you have people on a payroll to be able to keep making music to keep people on payroll also takes a lot of fun out of it. It's like, oh, we need to write a record because we have managers and a record label that expects something from us and we can't just take our time. You know, that that takes a lot of the fun out of it. So I could definitely see where a band like Modern Baseball getting as big as they did and then just being like, this is too much for me to, you know, take in or handle or deal with or control. It's totally understandable. Well, music, I uh, I don't know. I have no experience to speak from, but I would assume that like music famous is like sort of an uncomfortable famous because not only are you like, do you have a name that's not yours, but you also have your name and you're connected to other people, you know, uh, um, it's a it's a stridation of fame that's uh uh born across multiple shoulders i guess um i that's stupid can we edit that no no oh, no that sounds that good stuff. that was poetic um so here's what i i i'm not even i didn't even do drugs um here's what i want to ask uh i was trying to think can you think of any other bands that sort of have a similar sort of i keep saying trajectory but like a similar sort of career arc um i'll go first the only one that i thought of right away um was cave-in i think uh, cave-in is a really similar thing in a lot of ways where there's the first two records i want to say beyond hypothermia was a compilation um and then until your heart stops and then like you know a left turn they find failure where failure the band where title fight you know starts listening to uh um, or failure yeah, yeah. <laughs> they and also then, start found, they also found failure yeah and, <laughs> and then takes takes one more step further and then sort of like you know I mean, caven kept going which uh, you know for better or for worse but um i'm just wondering if, if you could think of any other artists who sort of did this a similar thing yeah, I mean, I guess I do think like I do think it's a relatively common trajectory when bands come from punk and start young. Like cuz I think um you know, like when you're a teenager literally, like literal kids in high school, it's like yeah, like pop punk is so appealing. And then, you know, you get older and you find 
Hum and Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. And it's like, so I feel like, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, like the exact same trajectory as Title Fight, like, because obviously, like, you know, like Turnover and Citizen, like, followed similar paths, but like in their own way. Um, I mean, like, Piano's become the teeth, kind of. Oh, also. sure. Um, cause you know, they kind of like, you know, like started singing and, um, and then as far as like, like their last record, which I think is really cool was in a way, like they're kind of like, did we push it too far record? You know, like, um, uh, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like I, I'm like on the fence if it's even worth saying, cause I, I don't feel like getting into them, but like. I'll, I, it's like a hard par- it's hard to not see the parallel to brand new i think also um sure. but i don't really want to um yeah, yeah, i feel you but like uh <laughs> but i do i do think that type of trajectory like or even like i don't know even like thursday like like having like full collapse to war all the time to a city by the light divided like mm. kind of like and then like similar like i think in a similar way like because city by the light is this like sort of art rock type thing and they kind of retreated and like common existence is like this smaller thing like title fight yeah not playing shows thursday didn't right away but they were just like oh like we we w- shouldn't go further than that and like maybe mm-hmm. and like you know so i i think it's like uh yeah i don't know um I, I famously love city by the light divided it's a great record the uh my my closest comparison would be like jawbreaker Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, beloved punk band, and then put out a record that went too far for a lot of people. Yeah, but I, I think like I don't think Title Fight's fan base ever turned on them the no. way Jawbreakers. Uh, yeah, fan no, base that that was a them. very like the situation with Jawbreaker was like a very specific culture at the time too, which played a lot into it, uh, as well as the fact they were on a major label. Uh, and then, you know, everything kind of dissolved in a way you'd expect when you get, you know, you put out a record that's very not received at the time and then also being dropped by your label. It's like, well, what else can we do but kind of dissolve, you know? Mm, and uh, so, yeah, but in terms of just changing things up and, and then kind of taking time away, uh, you know, Jester Brazil is 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 Blake's glitterer, you know? <laughs> Uh, it's yeah i mean i forgetters is kind of blake's glitterer yeah Um, but um i mean also like i don't know where you guys stand but i mean dear you is my favorite jawbreaker record oh it's Um, but i'm like yeah i mean the people who are so mad at it are a good 20 years older than me yeah um and so like i think that's it is a good comparison though it's like it's not as much of a jump um you know, as Hyperview, but like, I wonder if we'll see kids that were five when Hyperview came out start bands that worship Hyperview uniquely, and it becomes like this, you know, holy grail record to a whole scene that, like, the way because, like, really, the reason Jawbreaker is like considered an emo band is because of Dear You. Yeah, like, no, for sure. I mean, people people are taking that pilgrimage up to take a picture in front of the Hyperview wall. So this this podcast has taught me that Dear You is not my Jawbreaker record, and that Twenty Four Hour is my Jawbreaker record. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would say Dear You is the only one I really go back to. So, and uh, also it was the first episode of this podcast, so it really shows you where oh, we. Nice. I don't think I've started. listened to it since that day. 
Oh, the record or the yeah, po- yeah. the episode? Um, both. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't go back to it too often, but it's it's nice to know it's there. So, final thoughts. What what what's your what's your favorite track? What's your least favorite? Let's let's do that. I'll start. Numb, but I still feel it. I think it's definitely my uh, my go to. Uh, and then maybe back half of the record, Calloused. Not my favorite, just because I can't even remember how it goes at this point. It's funny because you saying the word callous, the hook is in my head. Oh, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, I don't. I, I'm going to pass on least favorite. I, there's, it's a perfect record, I think. Um, okay. No skips for me, like for real. Uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's too short of a record to really skip much, but. That's, that's true, too. But I don't, I don't know, because I'm like looking at the track list, I'm like, maybe in between. <laughs> it's like okay. kind of like, but also, with, no, it's a great ending. It's a nice little, also, weirdly enough, on Spotify, in between is like it's the second the, most played song on the I'm record. I'm looking at that, too. It's yeah. got to be on a playlist somewhere. Yeah, that's that's confusing. I mean, favorite song. Maybe, maybe it got of, added to the uh, red jumpsuit apparatus uh, for fans oh of, and that's why people <laughs> love it. Let's hope. <laughs> Um, I mean, probably Secret Society. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, think I Secret Society an, an is one. probably, probably my favorite song on the record. Um, uh, maybe Lefty. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I, it's really hard because this record is such, um, I feel like all the songs are dependent on the relationship between each other on this yeah. record. And like, I, you know, it's saying what I prefer is a lot easier than saying what I don't. Lefty, I I only say Lefty because it's I think it's the only song I've ever actually skipped on this record. So, mm. um, but I don't know. Um, you guys, this has been a real fun one. It really has. I've had a blast. I, I can't yeah. remember the last time we talked about music this much. We did talk <laughs> about music more than more than almost anything. So. Uh, Andrew, do you have a favorite fast food spot just so we can go back to <laughs> back our form? Our roots, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm like a huge music nerd and I get carried no, away. That's the whole no, no, no. <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. We need um, you should, we need you should to... come back. You should come back for our album of the year uh Patreon episode. Yeah, yeah. We uh yeah, we need an episode like this every so often just to still declare that we're a music podcast. So we <laughs> <Right>. appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. So, well, uh, having... yeah, where can people find you? What do you got to plug? Uh, I know the book doesn't come out for a couple years, which is it's tough to. You, you'll have to come back in a couple years when it when it gets closer to the date. But that would that uh, would be sick. I mean, it was cool to like, you know, talk a little bit about it because like, um, cats out of the bag. Yeah, right. Cats out of the bag anyway. So it's like, but it, you know, it's, um, but I also, you know, on a sort of boring professional level, like have to do press at the appropriate time as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as fast food, I, you know, I kind of unabashedly <laughs> love Taco Bell. Hell yeah. Um, and Hell yeah. yeah, the, the book comes out fall of 25 on Clash Books. I believe pre-orders will launch early that year. So like, you know, just mark your calendar now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe throw my Twitter handle in in the description or something and people can follow me. And that's a good way to keep up to date with my going ons. Sounds good. This has been good. Uh, My new book is out. 
uh, by the time this comes out, the the release party had already happened. So it was awesome. I was it was there. great. <laughs> Andrew, I wasn't I there. A, a Happy birthday, Dan! Inch. I guess. Yeah, my birthday's come and gone. Uh, if there's any books remaining, which I'm sure there is, and if for some reason there isn't, I'd probably make a second uh, pressing. Uh, you can find my book danbassini.com. When I Kill God, I Will Find the Spigot from Which He Meters Out Grace and Smash It Permanently Open is the name of the new book. Uh, available for sale. Dan Bassini on Twitter and Instagram. Andrew, what do you got to plug? Um, you know, if you haven't already, just please consider uh, you know, sending whatever you can over to the Paponi family. Um, it's still, it's been you know, I don't want to talk about how long it's been, I guess, but um every day i still see a post at least one post on social media about steve and it's still um you know uh it still has the same feelings i did day one so um any way you can help them or you know if you're a band go book studio time at gradwell um just to be in that room and surrounded by that energy um you know, uh, if for some reason you want to throw money at us uh, after you after you uh, take care of the Paponis, um, join the Patreon. It's a Patreon's fun place, good. I suppose. If yeah. you like shit talking and not talking about music, I think we could be your guys. That's but all I got to say. We we also do talk about music. Uh, we, we do a lot of our circling back episodes, talking about records that we've been listening to on our own time that are worth revisiting. Uh, and also, it's a great time to join because uh, probably any day now, depending on when this comes up, uh, we will be having our end of year wrap up episode talking about our favorite records of the year. And that's always a fun one. So uh, join for that. If anything else, uh, new December playlists should be up as well. And it's a good one. I've been listening to it a lot lately. Fuck your fuck your Spotify uh, for you playlist. Listen to ours. I cannot. I'm going to be honest, Dan. I can't believe you didn't yell at me for putting Beck on one of our playlists. Listen, as long as people know that you're the one who chose that song, it's all good. I don't think anybody's going to think you're a Beck fan. (laughs) Um, Uh, But but hey, uh, to everybody else, (laughs) bye-bye. You like how I took that away from you? Good.